Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Hanging on the wall next to the desk where I do all my MBA assignments, I have put three cue cards, each one representing the three, one of the classes that I have to complete before I finish my degree. My degree. Three classes, they're each about eight weeks, so I will be done in August, this August, August 2023. But I graduate this May, May 2023. And you did not hear me wrong. In two months from now, I will be dressed in a cap and a gown, shaking my professor's hand as if the diploma is already mine. But I still have six months before the diploma truly is mine. Don't ask me why they do it this way. Something about, uh, I don't know, benefits of having everyone from the whole year graduate at the same time. But whatever the case, I find myself in this awkward position of celebrating what is to come, even though it's not yet here. Taking on the status of a graduate, graduate, even though I will not yet have finished my classes until the end of August. I still have six months of projects and classes and papers yet to do. It's this already, not yet tension. So in May, I will have graduated, kind of, <laughs> on the condition I finish my coursework. In May, I'll have a degree, almost. I'm seen as a graduate in May because of what will happen in August, what will have happened by the time August comes around. Have you ever been in a similar position Maybe you know that your job will change, you know you're going to retire, or you're going to get a promotion, or you're going to get a new role. It's all lined up, it's all set to go. But you're still in your old situation for another few months. Already, 
Not yet. Or maybe you've sold your car, you've sold your house on the condition that such and such has to happen and it's all set, it's all ready to go, but you're stuck waiting. Already, but not yet. Or on a much smaller scale, maybe you've prepared a meal. Maybe you've made rice, right? You've <laughs> put it in the cooker. It's ready, but can you eat it? Or it's already made, kind of, right? Is it already not yet situation? And in the Bible, the Israelites were in that position too, after the Exodus, right? They had been rescued, they'd been promised the promised land, but they were not yet there. Or as Pastor Dave had mentioned last week, we have Abraham who had been promised, he had been called, um, he'd been promised a son, but there was no sign of a child. Already, not yet. Graduated, kind of. That's the position we also find ourselves in, according to Paul in Romans, an already not yet position. Why does God tend to do that to us? <laughs> Why is it that us and so many people in the Bible find ourselves in this tension of knowing what is to come, having this promise from God already, but not yet seeing it realized? Hopefully the passage we'll look at today will shed light on some of that. Because surely it's not just that God's kind of slow on fulfilling his promises, or that, you know, like my school, it's just easier to do it at this time instead of waiting to the appropriate time. Surely it's not that. So we'll look at the passage today. Although before I'm going to dive in, you can go to the next slide, I'm going to set up some background of where we are in Romans. And then we'll look at what is this already not yet tension that Paul is describing for us. So far in Romans, Paul, so Paul's writing to a church in Rome, right? And so far he's focused a lot on justification. What is it? Chapter 1 and 2, he's clearly saying for us, uh, no one is without sin. No one can boast in how they earn their salvation. And that includes the Jews who wanted to boast and say, you know, I know God. This is our God. Or boast in their ability to live out the law. And then chapter 3, he goes on to focus how God makes it possible for us to be forgiven through Jesus Christ. And chapter 4, he's then bringing in Abraham as an example to say, even Abraham couldn't boast in what he did, because he was justified through faith. We are justified by faith in Jesus, who came to earth and died for us, allowing us to be forgiven. That's chapters 1 through 4. Today we're going to look at chapters 1 through 11, although I'm going to mainly focus on the first five verses. I've included the rest for context for you. So here we go. Next slide. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to pause there. I'm not sure we can grasp the gravity of this statement. So let's stay here for a moment. We have been justified. Have been. Past tense. It's done. Already. And this results in having peace. And that peace that Paul, the word for peace that Paul's using here is not just a like, Oh, have peace, but it's like this state or a realm that we enter into. It's a tangible, 
reconciliation between us and God, a status of peace. God looks at us and he sees us as forgiven. It's an incredible reality. And we have access to grace. We can stand in grace. And this grace, similar to the peace, is a state, like a realm almost, that we can enter into. If you think of standing outside of a throne room, wanting to go in to be able to see or interact with the king, and he puts down his scepter, and you can obtain access to come in. Or uh, one commentary I was looking at said that the way that Paul was writing it in this context, people might have thought of it uh, as if you're on a ship at sea, and finally you come to solid ground. Being at sea is not horrible, right? You have glorious views, but it's also an extremely vulnerable position. If something goes wrong, you're kind of stuck. If someone gets sick, you run out of supplies, terrible storm, you're really vulnerable. Imagine that, finally you come to solid ground. You're where you're supposed to be. You're not traveling, you're kind of home. That's the comparison of coming into the realm of grace, a status a sure footing. It's not just a one-time action by Jesus that Paul's talking about, but a new state of being. No longer the realm of the law where it seems like we have to earn our salvation and work for it, but this of grace, where we are seen as righteous through Jesus. We have been justified. We have peace. We stand in grace already. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The hope that the, God, the way that God created the world originally, the way that reflects him, including ourselves, will one day be restored. But not yet. And that's the tension we live in. We have peace, but not the kind of peace that we know is yet to come. The kind when wars will cease, when we won't have to struggle against sin in our daily lives. We can catch glimpses of it, but it's not yet here. We have access to grace. We stand in grace, but not in the way we one day will, when we'll be standing literally before God. We might just get tastes of it in moments of worship or in prayer, but nothing like we will one day experience. We've been saved like the Israelites. We've experienced freedom from slavery, but we haven't yet reached the promised land. So it begs the question, why? (laughs) What is God's heart for us during this time? Is there a gift for us in this tension? Thankfully, after four chapters in the beginning of Romans, and then these first two verses of Paul laying out what is justification, what does it mean, finally he shifts now to the implications. And he gives for us another reason to rejoice. And this time it's not rejoice in the hope, it's rejoice in something that's in our world now. Suffering. (laughs) Go to the next slide. We'll read verses three to four. There's three to, yeah, three to five. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Rejoice in suffering. 
the word for suffering that Paul uses here is apparently not just suffering like persecution, suffering for being Christian, but can be all suffering. All the things that we experience that make life hard. Because at the current world that we live in, it seems as though Satan still has the upper hand. You can go to the next slide. There was two quotes that I put up here from two different commentaries to explain what is suffering. One says, any distress brought about by outward circumstances. And another one elaborates to say this is because all suffering betrays the presence of the enemy and involves attacks on our relationship to Christ. For those Paul was writing to, it could include persecution to the early church, but it could also include suffering, just the regular suffering, earning enough to feed your family or whatever else it was they were encountering. So far we've looked at verse 1 and 2 where we have these amazing blessings and now suddenly Paul is talking about suffering. It's almost as if he's you know, caught up in the amazingness of what kind of is and then sees the contrast of what currently we're living in. And I think sometimes that's the way it is for us too, right? You carve out time to read your Bible, to pray, carve out time to go for a walk and soak in creation and then you come back for your walk or you close that book and suddenly you're hit with all of the problems. Or you set aside Sunday as a Sabbath and you manage to feel restored and human again. And then as it starts to get dark at night, you feel that sense of, here we go again, another weekly grind. Or you find yourself so certain of God's goodness and direction in your life and then you go to hang out with friends or family who don't share your view and you find yourself quiet, knowing that they're going to respond in a certain way if you speak up. That realm of grace and peace that we talked about can feel so fleeting. And I imagine my graduation ceremony is going to feel the same way. In May, I will go graduate that weekend, spend time feeling like I have graduated, and then on Monday morning, waking up and doing homework. Already, not yet. So I don't know if Paul was turning to the thinking of suffering kind of naturally or if it was because he's anticipating us saying, uh, hold on, life is not all just grace and hope and peace. But whatever the case, here he's coming to uh, the next uh, part saying, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. And suffering leads to endurance, endurance character, character hope. Rejoice. Rejoice is the same word that he used earlier when he's talking about rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But it's also the word he's using earlier when he's saying don't boast in being able to earn your salvation. Because this rejoice or boast word can mean uh, be joyfully confident in, to exalt in. So Paul instructs us to boast in, to exalt in, be joyfully confident amidst our suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character, character, hope. Let's look at the word for endurance. This can be translated a number of different ways. It can be translated as a stick to a spiritual fortitude, steadfastness, perseverance, the ability to stay put without dismay. I like that one a lot. Ability to bear up under or resist pressure. 
And it's similar to the idea of Christ enduring to the cross. To me, it speaks of an inner strength, an inner faith that's not swayed or stamped out by suffering. It quietly stays put. Some translations, the one I grew up with, would use perseverance instead of endurance. And perseverance I often think of as like, run the race, push yourself to the limits, you know, you can do it. But as I read these, there's a gentleness to it. A staying put without dismay. Kind of a embracing what's in front of you with a softness, but a resilience to it, a resistance to it. So the fruit of suffering is this capacity to be in the place of suffering, to be present to the present with a gentle strength, not giving in to the pressure. As I say that, how does that sit with you, with some of the circumstances you're in? What does it mean to rejoice in your suffering? But that's not the end of it, right? Endurance then produces character. And character means like a tried and, trust, tried and tested character, right? The idea of being refined by the fire. And then character produces hope. I'm beginning to see why God may have set things up or allowed things to be the way they are in this already not yet tension. Why? Because of the possibility of these gifts. Endurance, character, hope. This whole process, process produces hope. Not optimism, but a deep hope. Notice actually that we started with hope at the beginning. Hope in the glory of God. And suffering has the potential to reaffirm and deepen that hope. Has the potential to. Only if we, as Paul instructs us, to, if we enter into suffering with a perspective of joy and a commitment to endure it to the end. If so, in that process we'll become more and more certain that we are saved only through the actions of Jesus Christ. And we will long more and more deeply for his return. If we enter into suffering without this joy and commitment to endure to the end, we're likely to end up beaten down, crushed, fatalistic. This is just my lot in life. That we end up with less hope than where we started. This makes me think of uh, the first year when I was living in China. I was teaching and doing some other things. And one of my teammates proposed that we do a three-day fast, which I had never done before. I remember on the day, day two of fasting, walking up three flights of stairs in order to get to the classroom where I was about to teach. And I was exhausted, lightheaded, tired. And I remember thinking to myself, I must really love God. <laughs> and I must really like my team. And I must really love China if I'm willing to go through this. The experience for me deepened my certainty of why I was there and my hope that God was working and would continue to work. Suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. If these are the gifts, why don't we just jump in more often? 
Well, it's tempting not to rejoice, not to endure. <clears throat> There's lots of ways we can escape from it, right? You can drown it out in social media or TV so you don't have time to dwell on it. Uh, you can distract yourself with food or fun. You can rationalize it away. That is my go-to. Put up that wall of reason so it's, you don't have to tell yourself it's so bad, right? Moving to the United States, getting married, no difficulty there. It is all good things. I don't want to admit to myself that it meant my entire life had changed, that I was no longer in full-time ministry, I suddenly had no friends, I suddenly was not known by my community, I'd rather say, I'm not suffering, I just got married. Life's not hard, it is good. But it is hard. <laughs> and I can, if I can let myself admit it, then I might be able to trust that God is actually working through it. Amen. And I can rejoice that the difficulty will result in a greater ability to endure a greater ability to have a character that is Christ-like, and ultimately a deeper hope that the stability, the stability that I long for will one day be realized. Paul's instructions to rejoice in suffering are a high call, especially in this culture, where we prioritize comfort and ease and having it now above a lot of other things. So why bother? I know I just painted a pretty nice picture of my own struggle and the hope that comes with it, but a lot of times I also wonder, is it worth it? Why not choose the easy route and skim along the surface of life with my phone in one hand and some caffeinated sugar in the other hand and a dose of optimism to get me through until Christ returns? Why not? So let's go back to the graduation analogy. It's a similar question. If I graduate in May, why should I keep trying? <laughs> I've gotten good grades so far, right? I know what the bare minimum would be just to get through to get my diploma in August. Why put in the extra effort to get straight A's when I know they're going to hand me my degree in the end? I would be missing the point, right? I'm not paying as much as I am paying just to walk across the stage and get a piece of paper. No, I'm getting a degree so I can be transformed, so that I can learn and be challenged and grow in knowledge and wisdom, so that one day I can be a COO of some nonprofit and make a difference in the world. Right? That's why I'm getting my MBA. And I think that's what Paul is getting at for us. We're not justified just so we can say, I'm justified, done. It's more than that. We're justified so we can actually be transformed more and more to be like the one who justified us, to be like Jesus Christ. You can switch to the next slide. Romans 8:29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Justification gives us hope that we can be united with God. Stand in his presence without shame or fear. Be restored to who he created us to be. I mean, did you follow what that verse just said? We will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 
If we can start that process of transformation now, why would we wait? I realize it won't come fully to fruition till the end, another already not yet sort of thing, but it can start now. I don't graduate in May so I can stop learning. I graduate in May as evidence of the transformation that's begun and will be complete in August. We're not justified so we can sit back and relax. We're justified as evidence of the transformation that has started and will one day be complete. How does that transformation happen? Through rejoicing and suffering, accepting and engaging our circumstances with the hope that they will transform us. Transform us by building endurance and character and reaffirming and deepening our hope. And all this is in light of the hope that God will be glorified in the end and we will become more and more like Jesus. And speaking of becoming more and more like Jesus, we also rejoice in our sufferings because that's what he did. He endured, he was glorified, and we have hope that we can experience the same thing. If I haven't painted a nice enough picture for you of the Christian life, Paul continues in this. You can go to the, actually, yeah. He continues with saying, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame or in some translations say, or disappoint us because God has poured out his love. This word can be translated as extravagant effusion an inexhaustible supply, or like a cloudburst on a parched countryside. God doesn't just ration out his love to us by the teaspoon. He is extravagantly pouring it out into our hearts. In this already not yet tension, we hope in what is to come. We reaffirm that hope again and again by being present in our sufferings and rejoicing in them. Why? Because we know that that hope, even as it gets deeper and deeper and our longing gets greater and greater, that hope will not disappoint us. It will not leave us empty-handed. It will not leave us ashamed, our cheeks burning, thinking, shoot, we should have been following something else our whole life. No, this hope will be fulfilled. And we know that because God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit into our hearts. We can feel it at times. And through scripture, thankfully, we can read about it and know it in our heads. May that evidence add to our hope and equip us to have the faith that this already not yet period, including the suffering, is not worthless. Quite the opposite. It is transforming us. I just shared a lot with you. So we're going to go and spend a few minutes reflecting. I have a few questions for you. I'll give you five minutes or so just to sit with it. In what areas of your life do you feel the already not yet tension? And what's your typical response to suffering? In light of the hope that suffering transforms us, what do you think or feel is God's invitation to you? And how do you want to respond?
I'll give you some time to reflect and then I'll come back and close it in prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that there's so much more to this world than what we see. We even thank you for the gift of being in this already not yet tension. We thank you that it's not pointless. We thank you that you're transforming us. We thank you for the incredible love that you've extravagantly poured unto us. Pray that you'd give us the courage, the strength, the perseverance, and the hope to engage with what's before us this week, this month. Amen.